Hi, I'm Father Daniel Duplantis, a Catholic priest, martial artist, and host of the Karate Priest Podcast. Have you ever wondered what the Church teaches about different topics? Are you a martial arts enthusiast or just someone who wants to learn more about martial arts? I'd like to invite you to join me and many guests on my podcast as we cover topics of faith, everyday living, and martial arts on the Karate Priest Podcast. Everybody. Welcome back to season three of A Catholic's Perspective, the podcast about being a young Catholic surviving in a secular world. Today, I have a familiar voice joining me. Welcome back, Father Dan. Hey, Amber. Glad hey, to be Father back Dan. on. I'm so excited. We haven't actually had an episode with you for like quite a while. Right, because usually between my podcast and yours, we're usually doing something together. So, uh, and I've been exactly. on hiatus, but I'll be returning. I think after New Year's is when I'm coming back on mine. So, yeah, yeah, good to take a a break from what I've been doing to uh, get another episode in. Yeah, I know. And for those who don't know, Father Dan Duplantis, he is the Karate Priest. He has his own podcast called The Karate Priest, and he's on Instagram. Um, are you are you on TikTok too? Yeah, but I don't really post a lot on TikTok at all. I'm still trying Nobody to figure does. some of that out. Yeah, yeah. I feel so, that. <laughs> yeah, if you follow me, you're not going to hardly see anything. Just a couple of old videos of me doing like some stupid editing with some martial arts videos. But <laughs> yeah, I do goofy stuff. Yeah. We love we love the stupid editing. <laughs> that's, yep. that's my favorite part about TikTok is that it was so easy to edit. And now Instagram is like always glitching. And so trying to edit reels is almost impossible. But people constantly want reels. So I'm trying to like put reels out, but they're always glitching when I try to edit them. So it's just like, it's a stress factor. And I'm just like, no. Oh, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about basically your experience with the military, um, being a chaplain, military candidate, right? Not actually a chaplain yet. Um, You're going to be going active duty here soon, and I figured that it'd be great to talk about everything in the military and Catholicism because it is November and Veterans Day was last week, Um, so I thought this might be a perfect time to kind of dive into a lot of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's always a very interesting conversation when people find out that I serve in the military um, and, uh, and like you said, as a, as a chaplain candidate for the last, oh gosh, six and a half years. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's always just been part of the plan, but it's, it really is, is, uh, you know, the best of both worlds to be a priest in the military. It's a very exciting, um, job and, uh, but yeah, definitely looking forward to sharing a lot of my experiences with all that. Siri, play Hannah Montana, best of both worlds. You get the best of both worlds. <laughs> Oh, oh my, my my sister used to watch that show all the time oh uh, so did i we're probably the same age um uh, she's 24 yeah, yeah. 24. yep i'll be 24 in april so that's kind of crazy i'm not ready for yeah. that jump but but we're not talking about hannah montana today that nope. could be a whole other podcasting episode so what kind of made you want to be a military chaplain like what sparked your interest in that so it, it, I guess the the origins for that go just really in my family. Um, both of my grandfathers served in the Air Force. Um, not long careers. Both of them, I think, did like one enlistment each. Um, but they're both very proud of their Air Force service. One of my grandfathers is now deceased. Um, but uh, they were both very proud of their service. And that's just something that I grew up with was, you know, 
uh, every year for Veterans Day. Um, they would come to our school Veterans Day programs and stuff. And uh, then when I was, I think around second grade uh, was when my aunt and uncle got married and my uncle um, who married into the family uh, served 20 years in the army as an artillery officer. Uh, so he was at, you know, probably more towards the beginning of his officer career uh, whenever uh, I met him. And uh, so just kind of seeing him and uh, I remember too, like, you know, I was, I think maybe in third grade when the, uh, the invasion of Iraq uh, took place in 2003, the second invasion of Iraq, not the, the first Gulf War, but the second one. And um, that was huge. I mean, you know, I was uh, in second grade when the September 11th attacks happened. And, you know, that certainly stirred up a lot of patriotism in me as a young child. Um, and then with the invasion of Iraq, uh, my uncle got deployed in 2004. Um, and I remember uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen snow. And it's funny because you and I were just talking about like the weather um, in each of our locations right now and how it rarely ever snows in Louisiana, at least South Louisiana. Um, and uh, that was the snows first here. Time, yeah, that was the first time I'd ever seen snow was he was deployed in Iraq. And um, this was before this was this was before like webcams were built into computers like you had to buy a separate web camera. And so I remember Christmas Day, 2004, I was in fifth grade mm -hmm. and it snowed. And so we have him on camera uh, while he's in Iraq on his deployment. And we, my dad goes get like a big ball of snow from outside and puts it up to the camera. And my uncle like, and this was like, the audio was terrible. Like this was, you know, before like we had like a lot of really good Wi-Fi and stuff. So he had to type to talk to us so he could oh. see didn't hear anything so he had to type and he typed back is that snow <laughs> like in all caps um so he got deployed then and uh and i just remember like you know sending him care packages and things like that and um so then when he got back from iraq he uh um he got stationed at fort sill oklahoma hmm. and uh and he's an artillery officer and that's the headquarters for the u.s army's uh field artillery schools and and all that stuff um so uh when he was there um, anytime we had uh, like hurricanes that we had to evacuate for, we would go evacuate to Oklahoma. We'd go stay with my aunt and uncle. Um, and I remember we did that for Hurricane uh, Gustav back in 2008. Okay. Uh, so we got, that was the first time I ever got to really go on a military base. Um, and it was so cool. I mean, just, you know, um, it, it's its own little city. Uh, like it's got its own shopping, its own like like you know, gas stations, like you name it. It's got everything kind of self-contained and it was just a really cool environment. Um, I remember one time we evacuated for actually, yeah, this was still for Gustav. Um, I had just started high school and I was in uh, junior ROTC. Uh, and so it, it stands for Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps. And it's a high school program that kind of gives you a little taste of like the military structure and things like that. You're not actually in the military, but it's a high school cadet program. And um, so, and we do like physical training. We do PT uh, in the program as well. And so um, my uncle invited me to go do PT with his unit while we were evacuated. So uh, that was really cool. So I got to kind of, you know, get some hands-on experience there and um, just kind of always appreciated it. And um, like I said, you know, being in JROTC in high school, uh, kind of gave you like a, a taste of like the structure of it, uh, the command structure, the functional structure of the military. Um, it's something I did very well with. I ended up having to quit ROTC because I was also in band and it was very hard to do both. And I ended up being a music major in college before going to seminary. So I had picked band over ROTC. Um, but the military never went away. 
Um, in terms of like how that inspired me to become a chaplain, um, or at least to aspire to that was, I remember, you know, growing up watching reruns of MASH. I don't know if you, yeah, yeah. So MASH was one of my favorite shows growing up. And um, I love the character of Father Mulcahy. Um, I thought he was so well portrayed and um, really just, you know, I, I always saw him as being portrayed as a very holy priest um, and uh, just very concerned about the people around him. And I love the fact that he was also a boxer you know, considering that I'm a martial artist myself as well. So right. um, that was a huge inspiration for me because I, I saw that and I was like, and, and priesthood had already been, you know, on my heart at that time from a young age. And so, you know, to see that, I was like, wait, you can do both? Like you could be a priest in the military? I was like, you get holy the cow. Best like, of both yeah, exactly. I feel like he's coming up a lot through, through this episode. I have to... <laughs> um, so yeah, it was great just to see that example. And um so uh, when I, uh, so I graduated high school and went to um, university for music for a year, and then I ended up leaving to enter the seminary. And so when I started seminary, my uncle, who um, was at the end of his career, he, so I entered seminary in the fall of 2013. My uncle retired from the army, I think in the spring of 2015. So he was getting towards the end of his 20 year career. And he told me, he said, um, you really ought to consider becoming a chaplain. He said, we really need priests right now in the military. And so I took him seriously at that. And I started doing some research, looked up the, uh, the three chaplain corps. And so the way it's structured is there's only three chaplain corps for the U.S. military, even though we have more branches than that. Um, the reason for that is because there's three departments when it comes to the, the chaplain corps. Uh, so you have the Army, Navy, and Air Force Chaplain Corps. And so the Army is the only branch in the Department of the Army, but the Department of the Navy and the Department of the Air Force uh, now have multiple branches in those departments. So the Department of the Navy is the Navy itself, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard. I think the Merchant Marine also falls under them too, at least in wartime. And then also for the Department of the Air Force, we have the regular air force and then we also have the space force as of 2019 so um that's kind of how that works so i'll never be in the space force myself but as an air force chaplain i could potentially be assigned to space force units okay. that's really cool um, so do you get to pick or no do they just assign you where they need no, you to get to pick your branch um and 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 that that was uh, actually a big part of the discernment process for me was not just deciding you know i, I want to pursue becoming a chaplain but what branch do I feel like the Lord's calling me? Because each one's a little bit different in how they function. Um, and so that's kind of, that. there was a whole process with that. So I kind of just took each one and, and just prayed with it for a little bit. So with the Army, the way the Army Chaplain Corps works is um, it's very much kind of centralized around the, uh, the battalion structure. Usually you'll have as a, what we would consider to be like your normal staff chaplain in the Air Force, which is my current branch. Um, you have a battalion chaplain who is, a, is responsible for ministering to several companies. I don't think you have a particular company chaplain. I think it starts at the battalion level, uh, which is where most fully functioning staffs will, will run is the battalion level for the army. So uh, you're very much in the field, like you go where the soldiers go. So that's kind of how that works. Um, whereas the Navy is very much a mixture uh, of functions for their chaplains. So with the Navy, you could be assigned to um, a, um, a, I guess you could call it a base on shore for the Navy itself. Um, you could be assigned, if you're deployed, you could be assigned on a ship. Uh, usually for the priest, I think they put the priest on the aircraft carrier. 
um, because that's that's usually the the biggest uh, ship in the fleet. So you're going to have your most Catholic concentration probably on your carriers. Uh, and then also you can be assigned with Marine Corps uh, units. And so, and I guess if you're assigned to a Marine Corps unit, it's going to probably look more, more similar to what the Army does. Uh, whereas you're assigned with them, you go where they go. Um, the Air Force is, is a lot different because for us, the Air Force, it's a very corporate branch is what people say. Um, and so the Chaplain Corps is very much almost like diocesan priesthood in a way. On an Air Force base, you're going to have your your chapel. Sometimes, depending on the size of the base, you might even have two physical chapels on the base. And most bases I've been to, that's been the case. Um, and so what happens is you have your chapel staff. And the Air Force has started to embed chaplains more with specific units, whereas before a lot of it was the chaplains just kind of rotate around and visit different units. And now they're trying to embed more. They're trying to, in a sense, specialize chaplains to where um, we're embedded with mission support group who takes care of like the functioning of the base. Um, or even with the flying units, you know, uh, or intelligence units, that's a big one uh, for the Air Force, is we have specific chaplains embedded with intelligence units, because these chaplains have to have almost the highest security clearances, just like the people they're working with. Because for intelligence units, sometimes the only people they can talk to about their job is the chaplain, and he has to have the security clearance to, to talk to them about those things. Um, so it's, uh, I find it's a lot more like diocesan priesthood for the Air Force. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, so that just kind of all factored into, well, which one did I feel like I was called to? Long story short, you know, when I met with my bishop to discern this as a seminarian, um, he, he had a, a debt to the Air Force where he kind of owed them a chaplain. So uh, he said, well, here you are. <laughs> you have my blessing to go Air Force. So uh, that's how that worked, uh, which is great because, like I said, both of my grandfathers were in the Air Force. So I'm, I'm glad that I love my uncle and I would have loved to have been in the Army as well. I would have loved to have been in the Navy, too. Um, but I'm very proud of the fact that I get to continue my grandfather's legacies uh, with serving in the Air Force. That's amazing. I know also we talked about yesterday how there's actually a really big Catholic community in the military. And I don't think a lot of Catholic men know that because I know at least from my experience from um, meeting Marines and things like that, there not many of them are really God oriented. Um, there's kind of like this stigma around military people that they just sleep around and they're alcoholics and things like that. Like I respect military people greatly, you know, but there is that stigma. And so when young boys go into the military, you know, and, and things like that, I feel like they don't know where to go. But there is a big Catholic community and there is a, a, a you know, resources out there for them. Um, and so do you know anything about that and how, like, if a young boy wants to get into the military, he can stay Catholic while in the military? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. There is a huge percentage of Catholics in the military. In fact, uh, I think the percentage is 25 percent of the entire Department of Defense is Catholic. Wow, that's crazy. It is the, it's, it's, it's the largest single religious denomination. You have a, the, the percentage of, of Christians total is higher, much higher. Um, but as far as individual denominations or religious groups go, Roman Catholics is the largest group of religious people in the military, 25%. Now, the problem with that is that, which that's, that's a, it's a great, actually a great number. Um, the problem with that is that the percentage of the chaplain corps across the branches is only 8% Catholic priest. Oh. So you see how the, the, the proportionality there is really off. 
uh, which is why we have such a dire need for priests to serve in the military. Um, and I get it, you know, it, it's, we have a pre-shortage everywhere in the United States. Uh, and so that certainly affects the military. And not only that, even if you have a priest who is willing to serve in the military, he might not actually be able because he also has to pass all the, the physical requirements, all the examinations, PT tests, all these things that your, your, your everyday person in the military has to pass. And so, again, you might have willing bodies, but they might not actually be able. And so right. that puts a lot of restraints on the candidates that can actually serve as priests in the military. Um, and so that's, yeah, but the, the, the community is certainly there. In fact, every base that I've been to for my internship tours, um, the, the Catholic community has been extremely vibrant. Um, they're very, very active people. And, uh, and that's including the retirees who we say usually are the backbone of a chapel community for a base because they're the only sense of continuity that you have. Most of the time, your retirees, if they live on base or, or around the base, you know, they're there, they're, they're, they've been there for years, whereas your actual service members are rotating sometimes maybe every two to three years. Three years is actually, you know, pretty, pretty average, um, usually not more than that. And so your, your military community is constantly uh, revolving, but your retirees are going to be the backbone. So it's a really interesting community, but they're all very active. And in most cases, the bases I've been to, the young adult group, the young adult ministry is usually the focal point because most of the airmen that you, or the, I say airmen, but for probably any branch of the military, I speak from experience for the Air Force. For us in the Air Force, at least, a lot of the people we minister to are right out of high school. Like they're in their first enlistment, maybe, you know, or maybe even beyond that, they have a lot of young families, um, but a lot of young single airmen, you know, and so one of the ways for single airmen to really feel community and, and have some sense of community is they'll join the Catholic young adult group. Um, and and the, the two priests that I interned under for my tours both had very active young adult groups. Um, and that's just, that's one of the things they really are intentional about doing. Um, and especially when you look at something like the service academies, uh, that's huge. The service academies actually do have focused missionaries. Uh, because they're essentially they're colleges, right? And so, oh, yeah, okay. So, um, which is why for like focuses uh, seek conferences that they put on, um, they'll usually have the archdiocese from the military who acts as our endorsing agency. The and I'll, I'll refer to them as AMS from here on out because I don't want to keep saying archdiocese for military services. I'm going to get tongue tied. Um, so what the AMS does is they will usually have breakout sessions college students about serving in the military, especially because you probably have representatives from the service academies there for, for SEEK and all these things. Um, so yeah, the young adult community is huge. That's amazing. I know a couple years ago, I had a friend who was in the, I think he was a Marine, and um, he would write me letters like all the time from like California, which is where he was based. And he would constantly complain about not having like any Catholic community or those who claim to be Catholic, you know, they didn't really actually go to church and, you know, and so I guess does every single military base have a Catholic community or is it something that you need to create or does it depend on how many Catholics are stationed there? Do you know? No, I, if they have a chapel program, there will be a program for Catholics. And this is the thing, if they cannot get a actual military chaplain priest, then what, what usually they'll do is they'll get 
um, either what's called a GS priest or a civilian contract priest. Now, both of those would be civilians, but usually a GS priest is a retired Air Force chaplain, I say Air Force, military chaplain, could be any of the branches. It's a retired military chaplain who, even though he's retired, wants to continue serving the military community. So he almost has like the responsibilities of a chaplain, just not the, the military status and rank anymore. Uh, GS, uh, any GS employee, and this is not just for the chaplains or, or, or for, for religious, any GS section for the military has its own kind of rank structure. Um, they just, instead of having like lieutenant, captains, majors, things like that, it just goes by GS one, two, three, four. I, I don't know what the highest it goes up to, but they have their own kind of GS ranking system. But there's essentially functioning as civilian priest, um, or you'll get what's called civilian contract priest. And now the difference between a GS and a contract priest is that the contract priest is, is literally contracted to work only certain hours and certain functions. They do not have the status or responsibilities that a chaplain, an active duty chaplain or a GS priest would. They simply are contracted to say, you're going to show up, celebrate daily mass on this day at this time. You're going to do the weekend mass this day and this time. And that's it. Like they're only paid for what they, they, they offer. And so the contracts are negotiated and then they're bid upon. Now for priests, obviously, usually the bishop will appoint a priest to take a contract. If a contract goes out, he's not just going to let his own priest kind of duke it out themselves. The bishop's going to you know, actually assign that as a bishop should. Um, so typically, if there is a chapel on any military installation, uh, they will hopefully have, if they don't have an actual chaplain priest, they will hopefully have either a GS or a civilian contract priest. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Hopefully, right? But no, that's really cool. Yeah. Now, a problem we run into is on deployments, especially. Um, yeah. Because that's where we really need priest serving is on deployments. Like, uh, you know, my uncle said he would go um, weeks or months at a time on deployments um, without sacraments. Mm. Because if there's, you know, the way it works with deployments, they you can't always have a priest on every deployment. And so what happens is I'm sure they will try to as much as possible, but, you know, considering the last 20 years that we've been fighting the global war on terror, we've been deployed to the Middle East. And so, as you can imagine, if you don't have a priest on your deployment, the availability of sacraments is probably extremely sparse because these are majority Muslim countries that we've been on deployments in. Uh, so that's where like a, there's a huge void in sacramental ministry. It's not so much stateside, but it really is on deployment. That's where we're needed the most. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see how that would definitely hinder um, people from receiving sacraments. I mean, even if you find like a Catholic church or something, I mean, there's no guarantee you can go as a military person. That's that's crazy. I know a lot of people, they like to pull out the, well, can you actually be Catholic and in the military because it's so violent or whatever? And so I just want to get your take on that, obviously, because I think you would explain it. Way I was better hoping you'd ask that question. Yeah. And <laughs> um, in, in, in fact, actually, I, I just did some research about that particular topic for the project that you know I've been working on that we'll be announcing. Very oh, soon. yes. I'm so uh, excited for that project. Um, can't yes, talk about uh, it, but I'm so excited for it. Right. So, but anyway, in my research for that project, um, that's one of the topics that I actually address. And it's in the catechism. It's in the catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, the catechism specifically states that nations have a legitimate right to defend themselves. And so the church, yes, absolutely allows for Catholics to serve in the military, including in combat positions, right? Because again, there's a fundamental right for nations to def defend themselves. Now, the catechism will also use a lot of Aquinas 
um, in things like principle, say principle of double effect, just war theory, um, all these things that kind of govern uh, what tactics can or cannot be used, the weapons that can or cannot be used, all mm. these things. Like there are certain moral rules, but it is absolutely permissible for Catholics to serve in the military. I always find that question so funny because I'm just like, we have a duty as Catholics to protect those who cannot protect themselves. You know, self-defense is just such a huge part of who we are as Catholics. And I know people will try to bring up examples of like the saints and how they were just martyred, you know, like they just died and we're okay with it. And I'm like, well, they were saints. Um, and there's actually, I believe there's a couple saints like St. Joan of Arc who like defended people, you know, she went to war. I mean, there's just so many other saints. I'm not sure if there's any specific military saints that there I are. Think there are. Oh, yes. which one? And, and, so this is really cool for me with the month of November <laughs> is that I love tying. Um, and I think like, especially when I've done school masses the last couple of years, um, I usually try to tie in All Saints Day with Veterans Day. And uh, because we do have several saints that either served in the military, either as chaplains or simply in just some kind of military capacity. Joan of Arc is one. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, uh, you know how you just did the little shout out video for my friend Kayla's class? Yeah. They were just watching the Joan of Arc movie. But isn't uh, that on like form.org? Yes, I think that's what they were watching it on. Um, okay. Wonderful movie. The casting is incredible. Um, Peter O'Toole as uh, Bishop Cushon is just incredible. I mean, he's one of my favorite actors and, and may he rest in peace, but um, my gosh, he's, he's wonderful. You know, he, there's a reason his career spans several decades up until like the year he died um, because he was incredible. So the Joan of Arc movie is one of those, but yeah, Joan of Arc is known as, as a, um, I guess you can call her a martial saint because she, she led armies in war. Um, we have uh, St. John of Capistrano, who was a Franciscan priest who served as a military chaplain in the Crusades. Oh. Uh, he was known as the warrior monk, I think, even though he was. Oh, yeah. John of Capistrano. Um, we have uh, uh, Pope John the 23rd served in the military in World War One. Wow. Um, I don't think he was a chaplain. I don't know if he was a priest yet at the time, but he served in the, in the Italian military for World War One. Padre Pio, I think, served in the Italian military for World War One. Um, and then, uh, we have a few guys, more, more contemporary guys who are in the canonization process now, um, especially for the United States. Um, so one of the famous cases is Father Emil Capon, who yeah. was a Korean war chaplain from Kansas. Okay. And he was captured by the, I can't remember if it was the Chinese or the North Koreans. I think it was the Chinese at that point that, that, that had captured him. Um, and he died in captivity as a POW. So his cause for canonization is open. So uh, he's at least a servant of God. I don't know if he's a venerable yet. I think at least servant of God. Um, but uh, there's several, there's already a miracle attributed to him. I think it's just they're trying to move him through that process to see if they you know, can beatify him at this point. Um, I think certainly he will be. Um, and then uh, Father Vincent Cappadano, is his case is actually being sponsored by the Archdiocese for the Military, um, oh. AMS. And so every year, usually in September, there's an annual mass for uh, his intercession and for his cause of canonization. I think he's also a servant of God. They've opened his case. Um, he was a Navy chaplain in the Vietnam War who was assigned to a Marine detachment. And so uh, he was known as the Grunt, Pro, uh, Grunt Padre. So his Marines love absolutely loved him. 
uh, and he died actually taking several bullets, ministering to wounded Marines in Vietnam. Uh, so his cause is open. Um, and then uh, my personal favorite, because he's a Louisiana boy, and uh, he uh, went to both seminaries that I graduated from, in fact, at um, Notre Dame Seminary, which is the, the, the graduate seminary I went to, uh, we have a memorial plaque in the foyer. Um, and uh, he is uh, an extraordinary chaplain because he, he received um, not one, but two distinguished service crosses for the Army, which the distinguished service cross, if I'm not mistaken, in the order of precedence of Army awards and decorations, is the highest Army decoration after the Medal of Honor. Oh, wow. So he, um, so he received that twice. In fact, his most recent one was just in the last maybe three or four years posthumously. Um, so he died on a Japanese hell ship. So he was captured in the Philippines at the outset of World War II. Um, and he served in the Army Air Corps. So I claim him as an Air Force guy because the Army Air Corps is what became the Air Force later on. So oh, I claim wow. him as our Air Force guy. So the Navy's got one in Father Capadano. The Army's got one in Father Capon. I claim Father uh, Joseph LaFleur for the Air Force. Um, so, um, but he died on a Japanese hell ship uh, that was unmarked. It was not marked as a POW ship according to the Geneva Conventions, and it was torpedoed by an American submarine. Uh, and so his case oh. has just been opened in the last maybe two years by the Diocese of Lafayette here in Louisiana. And so they are now looking at his causes for uh, possible canonization as well. So that's our three kind of contemporary guys who uh, they're trying to look at their causes for canonization. So I'm that's super fantastic. excited about these three guys, but especially that we have a Louisiana boy um, who, who's up there. So I'm uh, definitely praying for his intercession. In fact, I think I might even have his book on my desk somewhere. But Oh, he wrote yeah. a book? Uh, he didn't write a book. It's it's just, it's a biography about his life. Okay. But it's an incredible story. It really, really is. I love that. I mean, yeah. I know, I mean, I also know that like being in the military and things like that, it helps to have saints to look up to because honestly, the military, like you're not guaranteed to survive depending on like if you're deployed or if you're active duty, like there's so many things that could happen. And I guess I, I always see, um, you know, soldiers coming home and they, they suffer so much, you know, from PTSD, they suffer from all of that. And I think that's a real fear for some people, you know, I mean, are there resources out there for, you know, people who, who have PTSD, who, who need like assistance and things like that? Um, even in like the Catholic realm of things, like things that they could do, things that they could incorporate. I mean, first and foremost, I would encourage them to go see their local priest and talk about it. You know, um, this is where, especially because I, I currently serve, um, I'm very much attentive to uh, people in the military who um, have either been discharged or retired and they just want to unpack things, you know, and, and I've certainly been able to do that uh, so far in my time here uh, as a reservist in the Air Force. And uh, it's a great privilege to do that. Um, but yeah, I would encourage them to reach out, um, maybe form a support group, you know, um, sometimes all it takes is the initiative of one person to say, hey, you know, um, there's a need for this. It's not there. Like, it doesn't exist yet. But like, there is a need for some kind of group. So why don't I actually form one to form a Catholic support group for people who suffer from PTSD, or, you know, not just PTSD, because that would be like your shell shock kind of things, but also from what we call moral wounds. Oh, you know, the fact that 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 in the, you know, especially on deployments or 
or in combat situations, you witness horrific evils. And, and while you didn't suffer the evil yourself, you suffer from the fact that you witness these things. Um, and so there's almost like, like survivor's guilt is considered a moral wound. Um, so things of that nature, you know, so being able to unpack those things uh, with someone who understands. So, yeah, I would say if you can't find resources, start it, <laughs> you know, right. um, I think is, is super important. But I mean, there's all kind of hotlines and stuff. And that's the thing, too. Mental health is really important. Um, and I feel like lately the entire Department of Defense has really been pushing both mental and spiritual health. Um, in fact, the Air Force has um, documents for what we call comprehensive airman fitness that cover not just physical fitness, but emotional, psychological, um, and spiritual fitness. So uh, it's, yeah, we, we make sure we're taking care of our people. That's really good. And I think that's really important because I don't know how long, but I do know back when like my family was all in the military and stuff, like there weren't really any resources out there for them. You know, after World War II, I think that's when people really started to kind of start putting out resources for veterans and stuff. Um, but I mean, when, you know, when all that was going on, there weren't a lot of resources. And so it's good that we have more now than before. I mean, that's just the part of like seeing how war affects people. Like you said, survivor's guilt and all of the um, moral wounds. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing, but it makes complete sense, you know, as to why that would be a, a huge problem. Um, and I know you're being, you know, you're going to be on active duty soon. What are you like excited for anything? Kind of like scared for anything? Or I mean, we're going to miss you, you know. I know it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely bittersweet. Um, I mean, this was the plan from the get-go. I mean, in my first year of seminary was when I was discerning, um, going through this process, being co-sponsored to where like the, you know, the archdiocese for the military, the AMS would, would pay half of my seminary costs with my diocese, um, provided that I'm promising, you know, service time. And so the deal was that once I was ordained a priest, I'd spend my first three years of active ministry in my diocese, which is only fair because they sponsored me. Um, and then I would promise to go active duty for at least five years. And so I'm in my third year right now and coming up on the halfway point of year three. So, yep. So I'll be going active duty next summer. Um, I don't know where I'm going yet. I'm still in the reappointment process to do all the paperwork. And, you know, hopefully in the spring, we'll actually get to figure out where I'll be headed. But um, it's bittersweet because I'm excited for what I'll be doing. Um, I had fantastic experiences on both of my uh, my active duty follow on tours, like to, to go shadow a chaplain for a month, essentially. Um, it's a fantastic ministry. I'm looking forward to it. Um, at the same time, uh, yeah, I am going to miss, you know, people back home. I'm going to miss my family. Uh, I come from a very tight knit family. Um, my friends, I mean, my gosh, my friends are my world in many ways, you know, um, we're just, we're there for each other. We see each other as family. Um, and, and simply just, you know, um, uh, man, I'm gonna miss my kids at my cathedral school. And some of them know that I'll be leaving already. Um, and uh, cause they were asking me, you know, about my, my service time and, and they know I'm in the military. I've worn my uniform for veterans day on campus, you know? Um, so, um, uh, I know there's, uh, there's probably going to be a lot of tears shed both by me and by them <laughs> at the end of the school year, but, um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, it's a needed ministry. It's going to be a lot of skill sets I'll be able to gain on that time. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I, I've always felt like being a priest does not excuse me from uh, if I'm able to do my part in protecting our country and providing for the freedoms that we have, then gosh darn it, I'm going to do it. 
And if the way that I can do that is by being a, a military chaplain, then that's, that's what I always felt God was asking me to do. Absolutely. And as long as you're doing what you were called to do, that's how, you know, you know, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, and definitely. And, and, and everything with prayer and the way that my life has unfolded so far, it, it's been very indicative that this is exactly what, like the Lord's just opened all the doors. And even if there were times of doubt, he's always reassured those doubts. And it's just, it has been incredible. Like it's been very clear, like he's been asking me to do this. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's kind of mind boggling for, you know, me and Todd and like, you know, everybody else who's like, no, Father Dan, but you know, at the same time, it's like, you're doing what you're called to do. It's just like, you know, when your kid wants to be a cop or something and you're like, no, but also yes, because there are good people who are needed in those positions, you know, and, and so you want to support them and stuff, but also you better come back alive. Not going to lie. I, I will. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I have no intention of dying out there. So, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, but I mean, that's the thing being an air force chaplain is typically a pretty safe job. Um, and, uh, but in, and, and again, like I've met some incredible people along the way. Uh, and, uh, it, it's amazing how even like, you know, my, my non-Catholic colleagues that I went to training with, um, you know, several of us still keep in touch, you know, and, and in fact, we have a little group chat of me and two of my Baptist best friends, one's male, one's female, we all went to um, our uh, Canada internship together. Uh, we did boot camp together. We still stay in touch. I've actually, um, uh, me and Amelia have visited each other before. She lives in Georgia. So one time I went out to Georgia and then she came back to uh, Louisiana and, uh, just to, to visit. And then uh, my buddy Andrew um, has called me anytime that, you know, he has questions for a Catholic priest because he's, he's helping at least minister to Catholics in the absence of a priest on base. He'll call me with questions and, um, yeah, it's, it's, I love that we have that kind of relationship and, and what's, what's awesome about, especially, um, active duty is that the, the Protestant chaplains that make it on active duty are really the cream of the crop because it's, it's much more competitive for them. I mean, if, if you're a Catholic priest and you're able-bodied to serve in the military, they'll take you in a heartbeat because they need us that bad. But for Protestants, it's a lot more, um, competitive to one, make it onto active duty, and then to continue to promote and stay on active duty. Um, so they're great. I mean, I've loved, you know, uh, the active duty Protestant chaplains I've worked with, and they're always extremely respectful, I find, of, of me and in, in my vocation as a Catholic priest. And I remember actually one of my uh, tour supervisors uh, when I was in Biloxi, uh, he was a deputy wing chaplain, lieutenant colonel, and a Protestant minister, but he came to mass several times to hear me preach. I was a deacon at the time, but he came to hear me preach. And, and I had no idea one time he was there and I was preaching on the real presence in the Eucharist for Corpus Christi Sunday. And he said, he said, Lieutenant Dan, he said, I absolutely loved it. It was wonderful. You know, so um, it, it's, you do get to work with the best people and your chapel team, the chaplains and our religious affairs airmen who assist us really is a team and a family. Um, and so it is a great environment to work also. I love that. Well, God be with you when you do that, but we still have a little time yet. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. But thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I know this is like right up your alley. So I was like, Veterans Day, why not? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Always great being on here with you. I love it. Well, we will probably talk to you again soon before you, you know, go on active duty. So thank you so much, Father Dan. Sounds good. Thank you.
Of course. And I hope this helped anybody who is interested in the military or maybe just Catholic and interested in knowing more about the military. I don't know, like all the stuff military. God bless all of those who had veterans in um, in the wars and in the military in general. And we'll talk to you guys in the next podcast. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to A Catholic's Perspective with me, The Religious Hippie. Make sure to visit my official website at thereligioushippie.com, and while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter to keep up to date with my latest news and offerings. You can also find me on virtually any social media site as The Religious Hippie. Thanks for listening! A quest is a search for something. And every week, the Quest podcast will show you how we know what we know, through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. I'm your host, Todd Fisher. Join me in this thought-provoking and inspiring podcast of discovery. Find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and Anthony Smith and is distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure and visit the official website for Metacortex Publishing at metacortexpublishing.com or find us on social media for other unique content.